0: Well, good morning. Good, morning. good morning. Glad you're with us this morning. Hey, uh, next week at this time, we will be getting ready to launch Power Up Clubs. That's where we go into all sorts of front yards all around this community. And so just a heads up for you, we'll be housing almost 200 folks here for the week. So if you would be interested in helping out with providing some food they would be interested in eating it. So if you want to help out with food, that'd be great. As well as then we complete power-up clubs with Power Surge. A huge party where we'll have more than a 1,000, probably 2,000 folks from the community gather on this campus, and with that many folks, we can always use more folks who will serve to host and to help around the campus. So out in our courtyard this morning, you can let us know if you'd be willing to help with Power surge. So big days coming up that we're excited about here at the chapel. So my last 48 hours included... Uh, participating in a change of command ceremony down in St. Augustine, a naval commander in our body, was relieving, was passing on his command to the guy following him, and then last night I got to be involved in a 50th wedding anniversary where for their 50th they renewed their vows because they weren't sure if the first 50 had counted, so they it was really, really sweet to... Uh, See these, this couple share their vows again. The, the groom actually wore the same jacket last night that he had worn on July 15th, 1967 at his first vow statement. So really a, a sweet time. And then today at lunch, uh, I get to get to be with a, a number of folks who are considering full-time missions as part of their future. And as I was thinking about that 48 hours, it reminded me that all of us at various times in our lives have major decisions to make. Not every day, but uh, choosing a spouse for the rest of your life, I'd put that in the category of a major decision, right? Uh, Whether you retire or not or stay in the military, that's a major decision, and some of you are probably facing some major decisions. Should we take that job or not take that, build a house or not, start a family or not, retire or not? And when we make those major decisions, I hope that this morning will equip us to do it Effectively. Thus far in the life of Jesus recorded in the Gospel of Mark, we've seen Jesus encounter various different people in various circumstances. But uniquely this morning, we're going to look at Jesus encountering a major decision. Not a person, but a decision. And hopefully learn from it something that you'll put in your toolbox that when a major decision comes your way, because it's coming you'll be prepared to handle it in a way that reflects the heart of Jesus. So if you have a Bible, let me invite you to turn to the Gospel of Mark. And as we pick it up in chapter 3, I want to show you something that is probably maybe surprising to you about Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. Back in Easter, we started the Jesus encounters, started in Mark chapter 1. We're up to chapter 3 now. In my Bible, that's one page. Do you know how long that's been in the ministry of Jesus? This one page represents a year and a half in the ministry of Jesus. It's fascinating that the Gospel of Mark and almost all the Gospels... It's end-loaded. Most of the Gospels record the later parts of Jesus' ministry with only a limited portion of his early ministry. So a year and a half in, as we're in chapter 3, one page in my Bible for a year and a half of Jesus' ministry. It started like this back in Mark chapter 1, verse 14. If you have it open there, it says, And Jesus came into Galilee, that's the region there, preaching the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled. In other words, the time is ready. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So that is Jesus launching his ministry in chapter 1. Now, for a year and a half, this is what he has been proclaiming. How's it going? Well, we get to chapter 3, verse 6, and it says this The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Excuse me. How's it going? (coughs) Excuse me, I knew that was coming. How's it going for Jesus? Yeah, I think if you're a year and a half in your job and the people that you are attempting to reach are not saying, we're not only not getting on the bus, we want to blow the bus up, you would go, this isn't going well. What's, what's happening? Well, the Pharisees represent the religious establishment. And a year and a half into Jesus saying, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, remember? I am new wine, and with me as new wine, there comes new wineskins. The religious establishment of the day was saying, we're not interested in that. And not only are we not interested in that, we want to destroy that. And their decision to not get in line and not join in with the new wine of Jesus brings him to a major Decision. Let me show you what it is. Mark chapter 3 to verse 13. And he went up on the mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve so that he they would be with him and that he could send them out to preach. So what's the major decision a year and a half in? Who will be my leadership team? The religious establishment isn't going to join me. So I will need to establish my own leadership team upon and through which the church is going to be launched. We are today an outcome of this major decision in the life of Jesus. What we read in the Acts of the Apostles are determined in this moment where Jesus defines the 12 who will be the apostles through whom the church will be launched. This is a major moment in the life of Jesus. So, from this moment, I simply want us to learn this. Well, Luke gives us more specific. The parallel passage in Luke says it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray, and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. So we see in the life of Jesus, and then day came, so he prayed all night, day came, and when day came, he called his disciples to him, and he chose 12 of them, whom he also named as apostles. So we see this practice of extended prayer in critical moments. So if you have a major decision now, I hope you'll listen very carefully and you'll apply. Well, what do we see from Jesus about an extended amount of prayer? But here's the deal. The first key to an extended amount of time of prayer in a critical moment and making that effective is first learning the privilege of prayer in daily life. So we're going we're to start there. Because don't miss this. If you go, you don't have a, a practice of the privilege of prayer as part of your daily life, and then you have a major decision and you say, okay, let me apply what we talked about and have an extended time of prayer, you will not have cultivated the relationship that is key in this moment of learning to listen in the critical time. So if you're thinking, wow, I don't have a major decision. This doesn't really apply to me. Actually, what you do tomorrow in this coming week and the number of days between now and your critical decision are absolutely crucial to cultivating this to prepare you for this. You with me? You don't just jump in with an extended time of prayer and do it effectively without first learning to cultivate this. And both are present in the life of Jesus. We just read where he he spends this extended time in prayer. Where do we see his practice of regular daily prayer? Well, that was back, if you remember, in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 35 said, In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. It seems to me that there's a question that often kind of sits deep within us when it comes to Jesus and prayer that we're not really sure how to answer. And I want to make sure that we answer it because it's absolutely critical to understanding Jesus. Jesus. When we read Jesus getting up early and going off to pray, or staying up all night and praying the whole night, have you ever asked yourself this question? What's he need to pray about? Because what do we, what do we know about Jesus? He's God, right? So does he not know everything? Uh, okay, real life right now, if you knew everything and you had a critical decision in front of you, would you get up early to pray about it? No, why not? Because you'd already know. You'd sleep in. In the fine and the restful confidence, I already know. So why in the world does Jesus get up early and go off to pray. And then why? Why would he spend all night, all night praying? What's he need to pray about? I think we're a little uncomfortable with the answer to that question. And so we don't really answer it. Other than maybe we go, well, he was, he was showing us a good example to follow. He didn't actually need to, but it was a good thing to do. I believe that is rooted in a misunderstanding of Jesus because, listen, it's possible for you and I to have been with Jesus, been around Jesus for a long time, and still misunderstand him. Evidence by a disciple, one of the 12 guys that Jesus chooses on this night of prayer is with him for three years. And after being with him for three years, they're in the upper room the night before that Jesus is crucified. And he says to Jesus in the upper room, Lord, speaking to Jesus, show us the Father. It seems like a great thing to say to Jesus. Show us the Father. But what Jesus says to Philip Feels a little, ooh, awkward moment. Here's what he says. Have I been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? Ooh. That's a want to get away moment for Philip. Wow. Uh, Talking about wishing you wouldn't have made the statement. Wishing you would have kept your mouth shut. Have I been so long with you and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? It's it's Philip's, excuse me, it's Jesus' version of saying what my daughter says to me, Dad, do you even know me? (laughs) Like if I do something that she hates, she's like, Do you even know me? If I would take her to out to her birthday and buy her wings to celebrate her birthday, She would go, seriously, do you even know me? For this, she doesn't eat meat with bones in it. She likes wings, just boneless ones, which is just absolutely stupid. (laughs) Because what what does a wing have? If you're eating a boneless wing, you're eating chicken breast. I hate to tell you, they just cut it in the size of a wing. She doesn't like wings. She likes chicken breasts. Do you even know me, Dad? This is what Jesus is saying to Philip. do, do you even know me? Well, what do you mean? Show us the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. See, Philip did not get Jesus, even though he'd been with him for three years. And I think Eliza well, have been in church for a long time, and we still don't really get Jesus. And so we have that nagging question what's he need to pray about? Is he just setting an example? No, get him here. Get him right now, this moment. He says to Philip and to all of us, do you not believe that I am in the Father? Do you believe Jesus is in the Father? Yes, yes or no? Yes. And that the Father is in me? Yes or no? Yes. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative. But the Father abiding in me does his works. Same question. What's Jesus need to pray about? Phillips? What's Jesus need to pray about? Did you miss it? Yeah, he needs to know. He needs to ask, Lord, Father, what do you want me to say? Because I don't speak on my own initiative. What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? It's your work. You're the one that's going to do it, but you're going to do it through me. Jesus practices a daily time before the Father of simply saying, Father, I want what you want. (laughs) What do you want me to do today? What do you want me to say today? That's what Jesus had to pray About You see, the privilege of prayer is one of constant communication, not to set a good example to follow, but it's constant communication for demonstrated oneness. I hope that makes sense to you. Jesus said, the Father and I are one. I'm in him, he's in me. So the the oneness is real, but for it to be demonstrated, I need to know what he wants me to say and what he wants me to do so I can do it. You follow that? Okay. If you're not with me, is is it possible to be one but not to demonstrate oneness? Married couples... Married couples, is it possible to be one, you know, the two become one flesh, but not to demonstrate it? And what's usually at the core of that? Communication, right? So I turned 53 this week on Wednesday, and we were having, for all the family that was in town, a a dinner. And so I rolled in from work about 5.30, and as soon as I got home, Jackie put the pasta in the oven. And I, I got my birthday, so I got to choose. So we were having backstrap wrapped in bacon. So I was wrapping the backstrap in bacon and had had it marinating for uh, two days. And so I was excited to put it on the grill. But the rule for me is very simple when the meat is ready, it's time to eat no waiting. When the meat's ready, it's time to eat. So not everybody was there. So I was not going to put the meat on until everybody was there, lest the meat be finished and they not be there and I have to eat without them. (laughs) So I wait till they come and then I put it on. And you know what Jackie says to me? The pasta's dry now. You, it's it's my, my my pasta's ruined you waited too long well, what do you mean we were supposed to eat at 6 15 oh i didn't know that yes i sent a text out we're eating at 6 15 i didn't get it well i sent it to everybody else i didn't get it and i operate on the rule the meat doesn't go on until everybody gets here well i didn't know that or jackie and i won Yes, uh, we're not getting a divorce. Relax. <laughs> but there was, it was just that reminder to me, demonstrated oneness is a reflection, an overflow of constant communication. And when communication stops, oneness stops being demonstrated. You follow that? So Jesus is living. He's saying to Philip, don't you understand? I live in constant communication with the Father so that the oneness would be revealed. So if you've seen him, you've seen me. The privilege of prayer is constant communication so that oneness would be demonstrated. And that's not just between Jesus and the Father. What did we declare in song this morning? He's the vine and we're the branches. I'm in him and he's in us. We are one therefore what is intended to happen between you and I and Jesus right constant communication and that's what Jesus says Philip you've seen me you've seen the father and then he goes on and this is for all us now truly truly I say to you he who believes in me is that you included in that do you believe in him do you Okay, If you do, the works that I do, he will do also and greater works than these he'll do because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I'll do it. You see, the communication is he has declared what he wants and what's our privilege to ask for what we need to do What he wants. That's the practice, the privilege of prayer. It's to ask. But not to just ask anything, to ask specifically what we need. What we need for what? Again, very, very key to do what we've been commanded. So, it's this incredible privilege of constant communication in order that our oneness with Jesus would be demonstrated. In other words, I'm saying what he wants me to say, I'm doing what he wants me to do, just like he did with the Father. But sometimes we miss the privilege of prayer, we don't see it as a privilege. And I think we don't see it as a privilege because we get led astray by 1 Thess 6 where it says, rejoice when life is good, pray when life is hard, in everything give complaint for life is never as good as you really want. (laughs) Now, if you're wondering why are people laughing at the Bible, their first clue is there are only five chapters in 1 Thessalonians. So I made this up. But I made it up as a point that this is how we've boiled prayer down. Prayer is not a privilege, it's this spiritual 911 that we only utilize when life is hard. Never been in a group, 10, 12, other believers? Hey, let's pray together. Anybody have a request? a no, pretty normal week. No, no, no. No, nothing? Nah, nothing. No, nothing. Really? In that moment, I genuinely recognize we're probably not going to have demonstrated oneness. Why? Because we've boiled prayer down to... An unscriptural thought. This is a spoof on what chapter 5, verse 16 and 18 through 18 says: rejoice always. Pray when? Without ceasing. How do you do that? How do you pray without ceasing? In everything, give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. You see. There's been literal books written called the this Discipline of Prayer. I hate that. The Discipline of Prayer? I get the Discipline of Dieting. Big, warm, soft, chocolate chip cookie. No. That takes discipline. Why? Because that's something I really want, but I know it's probably not good for me. So I want to eat it. I get spinach, but I should probably eat it. I don't really like it, but I know it would be good for me. I get, I am so tired, but if I would go exercise, it would be good for my heart, and it would make my, uh, the discipline of diet, the discipline of vegetables, the discipline of, uh, folks, when did prayer get on the equivalent of Brussels sprouts? I mean, seriously, when have we thought of prayer as the equivalent of not eating the favorite dessert you love? But that's, that's what it's become. It's something I don't really want to do, but I know I should. I know I'm supposed to, and it's probably be good for me. So I'll pencil it in. I'll get up a little early. What? That, that is so far from what Jesus demonstrated Not the discipline, but the privilege of constant communication for the purpose of demonstrated oneness. That is the call to living a life of praying without ceasing. Of going through my days simply declaring as I go throughout each day, Lord, I desire what you desire. See, it's not a discipline It's a key word here. It's a disposition. It's how I see. See my relationship with Jesus. It's not, I know he's not good, but he's probably better than sin, so I should probably try to have relationship with him. It's a disposition of, I I want what he wants. It's desire for him. See, what if the 10 of us were around struggling and we said, let's pray together, and our prayers started with us simply telling the Lord we wanted what he wanted. We wanted his... Isn't this the way Jesus said, our Father art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Is that not Jesus teaching us to pray what God wants? Why don't we start our prayers with saying, Lord, I, I ask that you would grow me into... Your likeness. I ask that, that you would mature me into the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. I ask that you would lead me today. as I want to be an instrument in and through which you would work. It's a, it's a, a continual dis- disposition of a desire for God, a dependence upon God. Or this is what I know you want. This is what I lack. This is what I need. This is where I fare short, fall short. I depend upon you. And Lord, I, I trust you. I trust that you're good. I trust that you'll lead me. I trust that you will answer as you've promised you would. This is the disposition. Let's let's ask the Lord to wash out of us this whole idea of the discipline of prayer and to build within us a disposition, a heart expression of prayer that simply says, I want him, I need him, and I trust him. That's That's the praying without ceasing. That is the heart expression of by which Jesus lived with the Father and he has invited you and I to live with him, to live each and every day declaring, I want you, I need you, and I trust you. Now, I've told you all this, remember, because it is what we cultivate in the dailiness of life that equips us and makes us ready then for Those moments of major decision where we need the Lord's wisdom. And so we give an extended time. But if you have not practiced the disposition, you will likely find it very difficult to meet the Lord in any extended time. It's like the first time you meet somebody, it can feel a little awkward but you've spent time with them over and over and over again, you feel more comfortable and dialogue happens far more freely. So you prepare yourself today and tomorrow for whatever major decision is coming because everybody here this morning has a major decision coming. The dailiness of the privilege, the disposition. Of I want, I need, and I trust is how we prepare for that moment. Then, in this moment demonstrated by Jesus, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night. This is not getting up and having a time of I want you, I need you, I trust you. This is a whole night with a specific issue at hand. This is the practice of extended prayer in critical moments. The first thing that I want us to know, because and we'll see this from the balance of scripture, is this extended time of prayer in a major decision is not a substitute for gathering important data. In other words, if someone says to me, Hey, I got this big decision and I'm praying about it, that's great. But what are the facts that are involved with making a good decision? Praying is not a substitute for collecting important data or seeking wise counsel. Both of those are are part of the way God has made us to make good decisions, to gather important data and to seek wise counsel. Proverbs says, Where there's no guidance, the people fall, but in an abundance of counselors, there's victory. So a few years back when my daughter was at the end of her junior year in college and contacted me and said, Hey, Dad, I think I want to change my major. What was the first thing that I thought? What's the first thing I thought? First hour said, Why? No, I care less about why. Because I'm never going to figure out my daughter's Why? because it would change three, three weeks from that. So I wouldn't care about why. I simply ask her, is that gonna change your graduation day? You know what she said? I don't know. <laughs> Do you need to take classes this summer? Oh, I don't know. Have you talked to the department head for the new program about the possibility of you changing over now? No. Okay, babe. I am so grateful that you have included me and asked for my wisdom in this decision. But I don't have any facts. <laughs> I could actually use some facts to help give you some wisdom. So How about you collect those facts and then call me again? I'm not making fun of my daughter. She was like, okay, that makes sense. Thanks. Sometimes we, we aren't spiritual enough and sometimes we think we're too spiritual and we just miss practical application. I, you say, well, where's that in the text? It's not specifically stated in the text in the life of Jesus. But I will say this. I believe, remember, remember how long this one page represented? Year and a half? What was Jesus doing with people? I think he's collecting data. He's He's watching. He's getting to know. There's data collecting in that process. So it's not a substitute for collecting data or for gaining wise counsel. Let me ask you a question first. If you collect good data and then you get wise counsel and the answer seems obvious, why pray? I gave you a sneak peek there. If you know Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Okay, very practical. All data and even good counsel may not know everything, right? There, is it possible that the Lord would know something that your counselors don't know? Is it possible that you've collected some data but not All the data. Or the data is deceptive or twisted in some way. See, we seek God's guidance even when we have collected data and sought wise counsel because we are elevating his wisdom and we're elevating his authority over all other, including data and wise counsel. Can I give you a biblical example of why we should do this? Israelites cross the Jordan River and they conquer Jericho. And Jericho, a strong fortified city, and when the walls fall down and they annihilated Jericho, everybody around was like, uh uh-uh, uh, we're in deep trouble. They knew that they could not withstand the people of God because of what happened in Jericho. So, some very crafty neighbors, very close by, go, There's only one way to save ourselves. So, they go to the camp of the Israelites and say, We are from a far away land. Please make a covenant with us. Let's be pals, not enemies. The Israelites are appropriately suspicious, and they literally say, how do we know you're not neighbors? And you know what? The, the neighbors were the, from the town of Gibeon. They were the Gibeonites. And they said, oh, you want data? Here it is. And they say, look at our sandals worn out from our long journey. And check out our backpacks totally tattered because of our long, and do you see our our food moldy and dry because we've been traveling so long? They show them the data. And here's what the text says. So the men of Israel took some of their provisions, they looked at it, and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. Why not? Because they didn't need it. It was plurality, men, not man. It wasn't just Joshua, it was men. It was good group counsel. It was good data gathered. It was a no-brainer, it's clear, it's obvious. And it's the reminder that there are no decisions in life that are so obvious you don't have to ask the Lord. But sometimes we think there are. I've heard more than one guy say, oh, yeah, it's obvious. I mean, it's a pay increase. Good data. That doesn't mean it's a no-brainer. She loves the Lord. Obvious. Mm. You ought to ask the Lord. Every major decision... Should be made by collecting important data, seeking wise counsel, and then seeking divine guidance. Now, to save you an email, if you think, well, no, that's terrible, you should make seek divine guidance first. Why do I put it third? Because oftentimes God guides us through facts and truth and through wise counsel. In fact, it's the rare, but we need to be aware and open to it. It's the unusual exception where his guidance is different than what facts and wise counsel bring to us. But there's never a place where we would not seek it and seek his leading. So what do we learn about number three here from Jesus? Chapter 6, verse 12, it was at this time that he went off to the mountain to pray and he spent the whole night in prayer to God. I've under-highlighted. What's the key about he went off to the mountain? What's he doing here? He's getting away from... The noise of life. He's getting away from the crowds. Why is he doing it at night? Because <laughs> they're finally asleep. What's, what's this about? Why is the mountain and night important? It's about being able to genuinely focus. So, you, you have a major decision I would encourage you, follow the example, example of Jesus. Choose a place like he did. Choose a time like he did that will foster being focused. That might seem obvious, but for some reason, at least this was true for me, I've made major error the first time I tried to give some extended time away for listening to the Lord on a particular issue. I thought, well, let me go where I love. So I went to the beach, and I had an opportunity to stay in a condo on the fifth floor overlooking the beach. So I got there, and I'm out looking over the beach, and I'm like, Lord, you know, this is what's in front of me, and I really need to Wow! Look at that pogie pot. Oh, something just hit in that bait, and and I need to have your mind on this. Wow! Did that guy just catch a fish? You understand what was happening? <laughs> I had thought that the place, the best place, would be a place that I enjoy. What I learned is. My favorite playground is probably not my best prey ground because the two don't generally go to... I was so distracted. I literally went to the beach but then had to close the curtains and face the other way in order to focus. What I learned was actually to get away for an extended time like, like, doesn't have to be expensive because it's it's where you don't want to go cuz it'll help you focus there it makes a difference it might seem obvious but sometimes we pick our favorite places and they become distracting as opposed to helping us learn to focus second engage in when you're there engage in dialogue with god now what are the components of dialogue I'm doing it right now. What are the components of dialogue? Yeah, it's speaking and then inviting feedback, listening. You know, the number one reason why people say, well, I can't do an extended time of prayer, you know what they'll say? I don't know what I'd say the whole time. (laughs) Uh, You missed the point. You're not the wise one in the conversation. (laughs) The point of an extended time of prayer is not because you have the this many minutes to talk, and so you spend this many minutes. That's the problem with how we've cultivated our daily prayer. We usually pray for as long as we have things to say. And when we're done saying, what do we say? Amen. We've missed the disposition of relationship. And so you engage in dialogue. The challenge is not what to say. The challenge is learning to patiently listen. We're used to fast communication. And we really think, well, why couldn't Jesus just text the Lord and the, Lord just, and the Father just text him back? I mean, really, what did Jesus, Jesus needed 12 names. Does it take all night? I mean, what was the father? Do? Come on, let's let's get it, and we can do that. We can say, "I need your wisdom," but like in ten minutes. There's a there's a relational process here of a learning to speak to the Lord and listen to the Lord. Therefore, some of your essential tools, I would encourage you, you can take more than this, but I would encourage you, if you're listening to the Lord, take your Bible, not your three other favorite books, take your Bible and a journal. The Bible for the Lord to declare what he wants to speak to you in wisdom, the journal for you to write down as he leads you in your thoughts. Have interaction, have dialogue. Finally, and this is again not in the text, but this is practical experience. What you eat and what you drink will impact the effectiveness of your time. Many of you will recognize that extended times of prayer are often paired with what? Fasting. And I have done that. But at times I discovered my fasting was an incredible distraction to prayer as opposed to an aid to prayer. I just could hardly pray because I was so stinking hungry. (laughs) I could think about it. Other times it was a genuine help. Or one time I simply said, I'm going to fast for everything sweet. And I took a whole bag of candy with me and I put it all over the room. Just as a reminder that it was there and I could have it, but I didn't want it. I wanted his wisdom more. Probably stupid. But it was something that worked for me at that time. Most of my extended times of prayer, every time... The question of what I eat and drink is not the same other than what will help me be most attentive, which really ought to be true in all of our lives. What we eat and drink ought to lend itself to what helps us be most spiritually attentive, most specifically here. Sometimes fasting actually is a detriment, detriment, but I'll tell you this. Feasting will always be a detriment because it will put you to sleep. Just practical advice. Don't have a big feast and then go have your extended time. Because it'll be called a nap. (laughs) Regardless of what you do, where you go, how long you engage, the core for the daily and for the extended is right here. It's the heart expressions that you bring. And what are they? I I want you, and I need you, and I trust you. And so that's really, as you think, whether it's a major decision now or if it's cultivating a disposition that moves away from a discipline of prayer, I give you these three hoping, genuinely hoping, that a hundred times, no exaggeration, a hundred times in the next week, this will roll off your lips. Beginning of the day, middle of the day, at three o'clock in the evening as you go to bed, that you will say constantly throughout your day, Lord, I want you. I want what you want in this moment. I want what you want in this conversation. I want what you want in this phone call. And I need you. And I trust you. trusting trust in you right now, Lord that that would be the disposition. And so I want us to declare that before the Lord right now, prepare your heart to tell him, I want you, I need you, I trust you.
1: Lord, I come, I confess, bowing here. I find my rest without you I fall apart you're the one who guides By righteousness, oh God, how I need you to so teach my soul to rise to you when temptation comes my way, and when I cannot stand off of. Jesus, You're my hope and stay. When I cannot stand, I'll fall on You. Jesus, You're my
0: would be the disposition that you would, I want, I need, I trust. When Jesus spent this night in prayer, it was because he was choosing 12 who would launch then new ministry. And so we are going to invite you, all of you, next Sunday night we'll be launching the ministry of power-up clubs all through this community. And we always gather as a team of students in host homes, but it's full body. And so we're going to ask you, would you come next Sunday night at 630, joining with our students, joining with our host homes. Vets, unite our hearts together and declare before the Lord as we launch the week, we want what you want in this community. We need you to be the one that does the work, and we'll trust your enablement, and your promises. So what a joyful privilege that will be to do together. So in here, next next Sunday night at 6.30, let's declare this together. But we don't wait till then. All week this week, I want you, Lord. I need you. I trust you. Let's let that be the disposition of our relationship. God bless.